This is the Scale with Psychology podcast, where you're going to optimize your psychology to exponentially scale your business and become the ultimate version of yourself. I'm your host, Ani Manian, widely known as the Mind Whisperer and trusted advisor and psychedelic therapist to the world's top entrepreneurs and leaders. And I believe that entrepreneurship is a mental game. And the main constraint in any business is not the strategies and tactics, but the psychology of the founder. And with each episode, I'm going to help you take your life in business to levels you never thought possible. If you're ready to play the game of life and business in God mode, then this is the podcast for you. A very special, special, special guest with me today. Um, she is an international epigenetics expert. She's the co-founder and CEO of Apiron Zoe. She's a human systems designer and a creative disruptor in the field of precision human performance. She skillfully works with a precision systems-based approach to optimize performance and potential by leveraging genomics and epigenetic lifestyle strategies with scientific research, advanced biologics, and leading-edge technologies. So these successful strategies address the physiological, emotional, and mental and energetic aspects of the entire human system to enhance life, improve our relationship, with the internal and external environment and how this impacts the collective environment. She's a retired colonel from the Air Force. She spent 30 years serving as a human performance subject matter expert. And she leverages three decades of experience in the field of psychoacoustics to restore the human system's equilibrium and create beneficial shifts in states of consciousness and propel the entire human race further in its evolution. Please welcome Dr. Micra Hamilton. Hello there. Thank you. <laughs> That's a lot, isn't it? <laughs> it's great. It's probably just a fraction of uh, what would really do justice to your work and your brilliance. Mm -hmm. I know that you and I are similarly allergic to limits in terms of the human being as a system. <laughs> and you take a particularly precision-oriented approach to breaking these limits and really allowing people and us as a collective to truly express ourselves to our fullest potential. So tell us a little bit about what that looks like for someone who might not be familiar with a precision systems-based approach. Well, you know, what's interesting is I think that what keeps us limited is our belief that we are limited, right? And we've been, we've been taught that um, it's always passed down through the lineage that we have a certain ceiling or a certain capacity. And so um, it, it's interesting when you talk about what is limitless potential or limitless expression. And so what we do and what, what I've um, sent really all of my focus to over the years is looking at our limitless nature and define, redefining it first, because until we really know who we are, how we show up in this expression, whether it's a physical, emotional, mental, spiritual uh, expression, and until we have very precise data of who who we are as an individual, as opposed to the one size fits none that we've been looking through over time. Um, we're not going to be able to even, even begin to tap that limitless potential. And so with our complex systems approach, what we do is we do a very in-depth evaluation of the complexity of the human system. So we look at, we, we map the brain in, in lots of different um, kind of, you know, coherence networks, what the brain waves are doing where and how life has, has really patterned the brain for trauma, for instance, or, or even, right, even love and how the brain waves reflect the way we see life. Um, and, and in, in fact, the way we do life, we look at the nervous system markers to say, how has life experienced itself now lodging in my body? And so if I have uh, an inner critic or some limitation that informs my view, it shows up in my nervous system markers. So I can see it in my heart. I can see it in my, in my sweating, um, in, in multiple systems. 
So, you know, and, and then of course we look at things like labs and genetics. The precision of you is you have a very specific genetic makeup, right? So your blueprint. And we can take that makeup and go, okay, here's here's where you are. All of this is amazing because this is where you are. And then how how do we put in strategies? To, to help you know that you can change, not change the, the hardware, but change the way the genetics express in, in your human system. So what things can we do to um, really decrease inflammation, improve immune system? You know, um, just, just every aspect of life can really be intervened through lifestyle choices that we make across all those systems. You know, we look at your bone density and your lean muscle mass and body fat percentage and, you know, hormones and neurocognitive function. What are your executive skills doing? Your memory, your focus, concentration, your de decision-making capacity. Um, and, you know, we, we do all of this through the empowering lens of toward flourishing and thriving. We're not looking at you have diabetes and you don't want to have diabetes or you have heart disease and let's not have that. It's what if we never got that to begin with because we allowed the human system to be in alignment with its human design, right? It's intelligent design. And we know how to do that. But what that requires is that complex systems approach where we look at everything from, you know, um, what, are, what is our physiology doing? How is policy informing, say, obesity, for instance? How does policy set that up? How does the food chain set that up? You know, the people that you hang out with, your mindset about, you know, I inherited this as opposed to I have control over this. And so it's really a deep dive into the precision nature of you, of me, and then with all that information, you're armed with the ability to really take action on things that you value. So if you have a goal set and you have your precision data, then you can take, you can do a strategy and then take action that's sustained over time to lay in any type of experience that you'd like to have. And so what we, we look at homeostasis as a foundation for human well-being. And then from that, can we optimize into the upper limits of what the human's capable of? And then with advanced strategies, um, so advanced technologies and biologics and the new things that are really uh, beginning to show very, very robust evidence of age, of age rejuvenation, can we take to the human system to a place beyond what it's ever known and, and that's really the exciting part. And for the people who do the work, they do find that they move into limitless expression. It's just an experience, right? Nobody has to tell you about it because you actually live it. So that's where precision, I think, makes all the difference. I love that. And, you know, what most people may not realize is that there is a system within a system, within a system, within a system, within a system. You know, the human being we live in an ecosystem, we live in a family system, we live in a social system, we live in a system of government, we live in a system of policy, as you said, we live in a system of you know, temperature, climate, all these factors. And all of these factors, what we eat, um, all of these factors are influencing how we express ourselves, how we express ourselves from you know, a mind perspective, from a body perspective, and all the way down to an epigenetic perspective, which is this almost this hierarchical tree you can imagine, which literally controls everything that happens in our experience of reality. And most people, they accept whatever is handed to them in terms of belief systems, in terms of food systems. This is, you know, what I grew up eating. Therefore, this is what I consider food that I like. And this is what I consider food that I don't like. This is what I believe in terms of, you know, my stories around money, my stories around health, my stories around um, entrepreneurship or, you know, how much I need to work in order to achieve a certain outcome. And there's all these things that are influencing us from the outside. And to me, one of the things that really makes a difference between our ability to really break free of the limits of these, um, let's say, systems that we've been indoctrinated into and really 
achieving, thinking, feeling, being far greater than what we've ever imagined is our ability to author in a sovereign way our reality rather than accept almost as victims passively what is handed to us from the outside. And this is possibly um, the best time to be having this conversation because, you know, if we listen to the media system, if we pay attention to, you know, what people outside are doing, saying, feeling, and we adopt that, we, we let that permeate ourselves, then that's a certain kind of reality. But if we choose to author, to create our own consciousness based on how we wish to live, that may not be how we feel right now, but it's um, almost a GPS point, you know, out there, then we open up the possibility for something completely different. And that's where, right, we have that control. And, you know, I love, I love what you said about the systems within systems. As we all begin to look at our interconnected and interrelated nature from the micro to the macro, so, so everything out there affecting everything in here down to the molecular level. So, you know, I, I think that as, as we look at it this way, so many aspects of our multidimensional nature open up to us and we begin to see the validation that we are sovereignly responsible, that we are on purpose with purpose, and that we have the choice in each moment. And, and I think this is, this is so essential. In each moment, if we are in awareness, we can make a new decision or a new choice through a more aware lens. And that allows us to consciously create our experience, as you suggested, as opposed to being in victim consciousness where, where we think that someone's doing something to us and there are others out there, right? At the end of the day, it's you with you and you're the common denominator. And so if we all find that we have these repeated patterns of having issues with bosses or having issues with relationships or children or conflict or, you know, things that are disempowering, that keep us in this separatist lens, it, you know, it's a, it's kind of like a catalyst to go, Hey, it doesn't necessarily have to be this way. And then it's about what do we do? What do we actually do to change it? And a lot of people want to go into what's wrong with me. And that makes zero sense. There's nothing wrong with you. You are exactly where you are right now. And where would you like to be instead? If you're not loving right now, then where's what's next for you? What would you prefer? And that's where that goal set comes in that, that now we can begin working toward because we know what we prefer to create. And always when we are in that lens, exactly what we need shows up the person the book the you know the conversation on the radio we get exactly what we need because the experience feeds it back to us because it's simply answering our desire to have a different experience right and so if we continue to be fearful we're going to get more fear so that we can have that experience but if we just take that and move toward empowerment of right now today I've got a ton of blessings, gifts, whatever the, your language is. There's a million and 10 things to be grateful for. You know, I mean, we're still eating the people who are eating, right? And then we know on this planet, there are many who are not. Now we get the opportunity to go, huh, I'm eating, but other people aren't. So now we can go, how do we help everyone to eat, right? So now we go out of the small self, I, into that bigger we, and we start looking at those systems. And I think this is where people tend to get overwhelmed. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm barely getting by with myself. How am I going to help someone else? And, and the answer to that is one small thought that leads to an action, right? I mean, it's a simple place to start. Yeah, every we're always one thought away from the experience of reality that we want. And, you know, there's so much in what you said that I want to unpack. Um, one is, and we probably see this in a lot of the people we work with, there's the tendency 
that human beings have to focus on what they don't want rather than what they do want. Yeah. It's much easier, you know, and there's, we have a beautiful default mode network in our brain and the process of myelination that, you know, hardwires and paves and creates a super highway for those thoughts. Um, you know, the thoughts that create, you know, the kind of feeling stuck in the reality that we don't want rather than that thought that opens up a world of possibilities leading us to where we would want to be. But it's hard for most people. It's hard. And there's all these loops that, you know, the thinking and the, which is the, let's say the software of the mind really influences the brain, the pathways, the neural pathways, which is the hardware. And over time, the hardware becomes customized, almost like a glove, a custom glove mm -hmm. to the habitual thinking patterns that we have. And once that sets in, and you know, this happens pretty early for most, most human beings between the age of zero and seven, we're literally wiring our subconscious into these patterns. And over the next few years, we're really setting this in. And most people spend decades living out these habitual thoughts, which create these myelinated neural networks, which are optimized for that exact reality. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes really difficult, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years in to make a change because now suddenly that reality is, it's not even accessible or if it is, it's, it's accessible for a brief moment where, you know, there's a spark of inspiration. Someone might go to a Tony Robbins event and walk on fire and be filled with this huge emotional intensity, which can, you know, avail of the brain's ability to be plastic, but they usually come back and without the repetition, you know, things just go back to the way they've always been. We're, we're behavior machines, right? All of the behaviors get locked in and they do appear to be real, right? And so there's no denying that the people who don't find themselves to be limitless are in that reality. They are in that reality. And what you said about the, the programming before the age of seven, eight is so true, right? We sit predominantly in a theta brainwave state, which is highly programmable. So everything that goes in during that time period locks those tracks in. And generally, they just simply keep creating in the same way through the same belief systems because we're so concrete at that stage. We just we just simply go, uh-huh, 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 right? And it is the, the rare person who simply just catapults themselves out of that. Most people do not. And it's generally a major catalyst that is is what is necessary to create a new opportunity. So sometimes it's bankruptcy, sometimes it's health. Like right now we're in this crisis that is the probably the biggest catalyst we've had in a very rate. Even I don't think 9-11 was even as impactful right. because that was not as global as this is global, right? Mm -hmm. So every person on the planet right now is in a catalyst mode. This gives us an opportunity to all jump on each other's wavelength of what? Of fear and, oh, we're not going to survive this or of empowerment. And we're going to thrive through this because our genes are designed to help us thrive, right? But so, so we've got the perfect catalyst and now what do we do with it? Now, you know, you, you mentioned that it's, it's somewhat challenging to create this, new, this uh, new neuronal network and to keep populating it long enough until it becomes the only neuronal network. And yes, it is. However, if one makes a decision that they are going to create a new reality no matter what, and they, they find those ways that are going to show up for them once they make that decision to do it, and they stick with it, it will happen. There's no question. It doesn't happen for some and not for others. It's, you know, what's interesting about the precision nature is it, why we do all the diagnostics we do is because I can pretty much tell people how they grew up, right? The kind of uh, lens that they were programmed through, how much impact that lens and all of the subsequent experiences had on those neuronal networks. 
And the cool thing about it is we can intervene. And so it doesn't matter how old you are. I mean, some of us are in our, you know, over 50. And there's no age limit on creating new neuronal networks. And so if you know what's going on, and, and we say, even if we just said, okay, we've there's been developmental trauma, or there's been military trauma, or life trauma, because we all have it, right? We all have experiences that are, I call them uh, growth catalysts, but some people love to, to use that word trauma. Um, if we can see those in the brain, and we know that a specific area of the brain is doing a specific thing when it's been traumatized, we can then take action on that specific part of the brain through neuromodulation. So we can send in a signal that will entrain the brain to its ideal state in that, ex that precise location. Now, the brain waves that are actually causing some of the thought processes and the experiences to keep recreating don't do that anymore, right? We can also intervene on the nervous system. So what I'm saying is we can intervene on the hardware itself. If we tell the hardware, line back to your intelligent design with respiration that's in the belly, with heart rate variability that locks to the respiration, with brain waves that are in neutral or idle, right? From which we can go up and act and create, or we can go down and relax. But idle is the place to, to be. And the human system sends all the signals that say, I'm good, I'm thriving, all is well. It's not this hamster wheel of the go-go modern 24-7 always on high beta, we call it beta head, high G, right? It doesn't work because those signals say danger, danger, danger. We haven't evolved out of that protective mechanism. So we're going to have to evolve ourselves out of it by lining it up and then enhancing it. And that's where human evolution is going to come from, right? Catalysts like this that create change in the hardware and the software to upgrade, enhance the human state. Yeah, this is such a fascinating conversation for me personally, because, you know, all of my work is at the software level and you do so much work at the hardware level. And this is really the intersection of the hardware and the software to a common aim we have, which is to make human beings completely limitless. Mm -hmm. One of the things that, you know, we see in society these days, particularly with entrepreneurs, is that there is an over-reliance on the sympathetic nervous system, which is the, mm -hmm. you know, people use everything from caffeine to, you know, stress as a way to motivate themselves, as a way to push the gas pedal and then, and, you know, these days, um, you know, people use all sorts of um, synthetic pharmaceuticals to aid in this process. Um, in New York, I mean, the people do coke in between of, uh, you know, work is just so they can squeeze out another six hours at the investment bank. So, <laughs> you know, there is an obsession with performance, yes. but performance is a very one-dimensional concept where Performance is go, 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 mm -hmm. high beta, sympathetic nervous system dominance. Um, it's, not, uh, it's not sustainable. And yet, because it, they are able to recruit the bodies, and this is a misuse of the intelligent design, I may argue, right? It's using the body's inherent desire to survive and you know, respond to threat it's keeping the body in a survival state, um, feeling at you know unsafe really, and feeling like there's a constant stressor and a threat to survival as a way to have enhanced brain function, as a way to have enhanced like cognitive abilities, as a way to have more clarity and focus. But this has very quick diminishing returns. It's How does this appear in your work? You know, what's interesting is, um, so we, so we work with, with people who self-select, right? They say, I I'm all in, I believe that I'm at least potentially capable of what you're saying and I'm willing to do the work. And so it's a year, it's a year process, right? We don't take anybody for less than a year and we're very careful in, in vetting who gets to be part of this process because 
um, you, you can't think that you're going to drive the human system into the ground and be able to stay thriving, to stay at these temporary high levels of performance, right? It's not efficient. It's not effective. And the system crashes and it crashes at different speeds, right? Depending on, you know, what, what the base foundation of the individual is and how long and hard they've been riding their system. But always, and I mean always, the system crashes, and it generally happens, you know, now it's starting to happen earlier, like 35-ish um, for a lot of these hard chargers. Used to be 40, 45, right? Before we were really seeing this, this um, tipping point where the system tanked to a place where it's like, I can't keep up. I'm exhausted. I have no motivation. And, and what's happening is we're, we're pushing the system into faster hormonal decline, and the lack of sleep is creating the inability to clean the brain of the metabolic debris of all of that overload that we're putting ourselves in. And so it's a, and, and you see it in all the statistics of, you know, cognitive decline and, and, and people just kind of losing it at a certain point, the substrates that are essential for the human system to thrive are no longer there. And it's been an interesting kind of gradual decline where Often you don't notice it until you're you're at that tipping point and now you're breaking down and breaking apart. And so this is what this modern um, this modern living and the I'm, I'm going to say uh, dishonor and disrespect of the complexity of the human system. Right. Yes, we can run it hard and we can break it. And then what does life look like? You definitely are not limitless and you're not even happy. Right. And people get uh, fractured. And and I, you know, I say, if you just ask yourself a question, how efficient and effective could I be if I really focused on this complex system? Right. First and foremost, the hardware, because if the hardware is broken, everything is is going to be right. But but as importantly, the software, it's all of it together that we get to send our focus to not not these stovepipes that we've been taught are, are enough to keep the system going. Yes, it'll keep going. But do you want to jump out of bed really excited to be present, to connect, to create, to innovate? Or do you want to drag yourself out of sleep and prop yourself up with, with um, support and then take other support to put yourself back down at night. I mean, it makes no logical sense. <laughs> stimulant depressant, stimulant depressant, stimulant depressant. <laughs> Until there's a trip to the ER. Or, or worse, right? Or worse. Thing. Um, and we're seeing lots and lots of that. We're expressing in such in, incredibly... Um, varied ways, right? You, you look at the burnout rates and you look at the people falling. It, it just makes no sense. If, you're, if your goal is that, keep looking in that direction, right? If it's not, then find the exemplars who are living it. And you know they're living it because their entire life reflects it. That's a balanced human system. They're, they're not fractured apart in one area of their life, or two or three, they're whole in all of it, right? It's the it's that walking the talk and just simply living the dream. And and they're out there. You just simply gotta find one <laughs> and then go, what are they doing? You know, it, what are they doing? It's the the Roger Bannister effect, right? Until Roger Bannister ran the four-minute mile, people didn't think it was possible. And as soon as he did, I think I forget how many people beat the record. You know, for most people, they don't have a real example, someone they can look at and see. Because if we look at icons in business, we have Elon Musk and Steve Jobs and so on and so forth. And, you know, none of these people are known for their incredible work-life balance. Right. They're not really known for their equanimity and their, you know, calm mind and peaceful demeanor. And... This is really the difference between peak performance and peak living. Yes. Right? The difference between 
you know, worshiping intensity as your God and chasing intensity and taking intensity to be the ultimate goal and then repeating that ad nauseum till there is an inevitable crash, which is delayed by using bottles of wine as an emergency break for the nervous system and actually living in a beautiful state, having a sense of fundamental well-being, having clarity, having awareness, having focus, having presence. Because one of the things that I'm seeing is that the people who optimize for peak performance, there's significantly less presence, their ability to be present with other human beings, to connect, to have empathy, to be aware. It's everything gets so narrow and they're looking at their world through a very, 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 you know, tiny aperture, tiny peephole, and they miss the larger picture. They miss the collective story and the collective narrative. And that's where a lot of the richness of life is. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, it's that limited versus limitless lens. And it's, and it really is, I, I call it being in the weeds, um, you know, you're so far down in the density of the I, of the me, me, me and what I need. And I'm going to get it at any cost because that's what I've been taught. And that's the only way that I know how to function. Right. Um, versus that that more um, I, I like to say bigger we um, I, I definitely have self-focus. I love doing what I love to do, right? And it's so it's so rounded. It's not stovepiped into only, you know, um, this complex systems medical process. Oh my goodness! I mean, it goes everywhere, and it, it's it doesn't ever dive into the the limited nature, um, you know. And I, and and mostly people would say you oscillate in and out of those states, and and maybe temporarily. Like so, we could say I. I uh, had a moment of narcolepsy and I, and I went down into the weeds, but it's so easy to know you're in the weeds and it's so easy to take yourself back above it. And, you know, I, sometimes I'll, I ask myself, who's actually looking through my lens right now, right? Because if there's any, any irritation or rub, any minor little thought form that, that indicates that I'm in that, in that, uh, in that weed place, I just immediately pull it back up to where I stay predominantly, right? Because I have that choice because I'm the one who took myself down into that place. And so I can certainly get myself out of it. You know, one of the most powerful things I've ever heard, I forget who said it, um, but I'll never forget what was said, which is all of our problems come from the illusion that we are a separate self. It's so true. And, and, you know, how, how can we, how can we not see, this is sort of a rhetorical question, right? <laughs> how can we not see that we're one species, we're one species. And yet we seem to have this collective idea that the other places in the world don't matter at all. That the humans who, who aren't living the way we live in America don't matter. You know, that that's only for people who have much bigger uh, goals to help humanity. We're all humanity, right? And if we help ourselves, we're helping others. And so, I, you know, uh, the, the biggest thing that I would love to see out of this is that we all step into a much bigger lens of how we perceive ourselves and the collective, right? Even if it's just, I start with myself and then I go to my neighbor and then I go to my workplace and then I go to my community and, you know, then my state, my country. If, if you've, if you've got to start there, that's a great place to start, or you can leap all the way up and go, let me see what's going on on this planet. I got all this time right now. And not through the lens of what's wrong with it, right? Um, because really nothing's wrong with it. It's simply as it is. And what does my attention want to go to so that I can uniquely make a difference where I believe that it matters to me, right? 
that's, that's what I would love to see come out of all of this. I love that. I want to share some passages from some stuff you shared and I found quite delightful. Um, this is a piece by Azria Cohen Bekwa. I think I'm saying that right. Every time we open our Amazon boxes to pull out the next bulk order of toilet paper while wondering if the cardboard is contaminated, we are quietly confronted with the mystery of the invisible, unknown nature of reality. Examining our mortality is also an access point into more deeply understanding the biologically ingrained survival mechanisms that runs so much of our day-to-day -day lives. The truth is, the vast majority of humans, regardless of income bracket, and I'd like to add race, religion, nationhood, do not feel safe and secure in the world. And they're plagued by anxiety and stress because of it. There is no more tangible connection to the cycles of life and death that occur in the natural world. And that connection is now ready to reawaken bringing with it the hard yet sweet realization that nothing is guaranteed. Because when we truly embrace the truth that we are all going to die, that life is a profound gift and each breath is a privilege, every moment becomes infinitely precious. And that's, that's limitless nature. This is the, this is the, the truth is we have that opportunity to look through that lens. I, I have to say, and, and I haven't always lived in this lens, right? You can imagine 30 years in the military and being very indoctrinated. And so, you know, I say now I sit in gratitude in each moment for being created. I am here and it is a gift Right. I think I think that, you know, uh, what may well, what may happen is that we come in believing that we're one time use human human structure and that nobody knows what's after this. Right. If we didn't have that belief when we came in because we knew that the essence that powers this human expression is infinite. Right how would things look different if we looked at death as simply a transition of state as opposed to, oh my God, I'm so scared that there's nothing next. It's the fear of that that is creating this lack of safety. I can't be unsafe. That which I am is infinite, limitless, right? And so it's, it's interesting for one to just contemplate what if... I'm so much more than I currently believe myself to be. And if that's true, how might that change the way I create in this experience right now? And that's the opportunity we all have right now is to just go, what if? And I, you know, I often say that if you just simply put that in your field, if I say, what if everything I thought to be true might not be, might not be true in the way I believed it through the cultural editors that trained and indoctrinated me? What if I just said, what if to all of it? How might that curiosity spur new actions and new belief systems, new neuronal networks that then become the predominant way of being? That's just, I mean... It's huge. It allows you to create your limitless possibilities because there's billions and billions and trillions of choice points and they all and lead that, to different expressions. <laughs> and there's so much juice in what you just said because there's a few things I want to pull out because I think deserves to be said again. When we change our orientation from fear to curiosity, everything changes. Because fear is a contraction. Fear is a projection of our own finite nature. And that is a belief, right? That is not a fact. It's not an observable fact. It's not like gravity. It's a, a hypothesis. And it's a hypothesis that just because a lot of people have made collectively, it's been accepted as truth. And when we project this, um, this belief that we are finite, we have finite time, we have finite resources and we're finite beings, we project that onto the canvas of our reality, mm -hmm. then we 
contract into fear. We contract into scarcity. We contract into behaviors that make us, you know, buy 6,000 rolls of toilet paper because, you know, that's the what if question we're answering. What if there isn't enough toilet paper for me to, you know, wipe my butt? Versus when we open into curiosity, because curiosity requires openness, it requires the organism to feel safe. It requires the organism to be, you know, fundamentally expansive in a way. It's to include other possibilities. It's to ask from a place of not knowing. And it changes our physiology, changes our biology, changes our neurology, and it changes our reality. And it fundamentally re-engineers what we experience as limited into a state of being limitless because we're starting with not knowing. We're starting with not taking our bounds as hard walls, as hard limits that we can't penetrate. And as Einstein said, you know, a problem cannot be solved by the same level of consciousness that created it. So if we are living in a box and that is a, you know, a thought um, a, a box made of our thinking, right, of our level of consciousness, we can only see as far as the box allows us to see. We can't see what's outside the box. And being limitless means not living in a box and at the same time being individuated enough, having enough of an ego structure that allows us to create. And that requires a box that is a, it's a permeable membrane it's a flexible membrane, it's malleable, it's adaptable, and it's one that can be expanded, you know, as soon as an insight arrives, pointing to a wall actually being a window. Mm-hmm. That is so, so beautifully put. I, uh, <laughs> I, I love this merger of the software hardware and and covering it from so many different angles because it is, it is that key, you know, this mystery that we're part of is stunning. If we, if we choose it to be, um, if we can create that new lens. And so, you know, um, my invitation is always what new, what new way can I look at this? I used to say, um, you know, when I, as I was, as I was getting these new, um, sort of, um, understandings or experiences within myself. Okay. I'm looking at it this one way and I think it's this way, but can I think of 10 different ways that it might actually also be? And then if I can think of 10 different ways, which one feels the best to me? Because if I'm picking anyway, and I have no idea, shall I just pick the thing that feels the best and connects me the most with myself and with others? And that's how a lot of this started for me was the question mark of what if, and then of of getting new stories around what I thought was the only way that it could be. How could it be anyway else, right? And so those are, you know, it's just small starting places to begin to widen that lens to where the, the membranes are permeable. And there aren't any boxes or glass ceilings or, or limitations. What was that journey like for you after 30 years of being in a very, you know, dogmatic, autocratic belief system yeah. to be who you are today? Uh, you know, what was interesting for me is, is this, this uh, what I call uh, greater consciousness, uh, this bigger level of awareness within myself began in 2009. And I have to say, I was, I was concretely programmed and I had very, very strong opinions and my ego was probably the size of the universe because, you know, being in a position of authority, um, you, you, do, you do generally tell people what to do. It's just the culture, right? And then I, I started, it was like all my belief systems started to crumble and I said, and it happened through a stillness. I had a, I had a surgery that was six weeks on my back and I had never been still ever. And that's why this, this catalyst is so important right now. And so that stillness forced me to come to a halt and I had to be alone with my mind. And I got to tell you, it was like torture. Right. And so it, it slowly began to inform itself differently differently. 
as I, as I stopped being so hard and fast that I'm right and everybody needs to listen to me because I know I'm right. Um, but in the last three years of the military, what I, what I recognized was I was only taking one part of me to work. I was taking the colonel, the leader, the one who who has it all down and who can lead all of them. And I was very good at it. But when I realized I wasn't taking all of me, I wasn't taking the soft, nurturing, you know, creative side to to work with me. I was only taking that linear doer. I said, what what would happen if I took her as well? If I took both all of me to work? And I did. And things started changing rapidly. In the last three years that I was there, initiatives that I had been working on with hard nose for years and years and years, all of a sudden came to fruition. They laid in in a way that they swept across the entity, right? The enterprise, and they made a massive difference. I know that was because I became whole and I stopped apologizing for aspects of me that I thought wouldn't be accepted in that culture. So when I retired, now I'm CEO. I mean, I was CEO also, but now I've got to bring the colonel to the corporation because I realized I led my corporation differently than I did my military work. And so it was that balance that allowed me to create the wholeness and, and simply be it's effortless to do what I do because I'm doing me and I'm whole. And so there's never any second guessing or, or thinking about what I said or what I did. It's just simply that's what I do or think or right. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's very simple. It's um, I, I used to look at people like me and I used to go, gosh, are they okay? They seem a bit uh, simple and, and maybe, maybe they're kind of losing their mind. <laughs> And now I find myself in that innocent, childlike place of losing my mind. Thank God I lost my mind, right? And entered the wholeness of my being because my mind, that default mode network you were talking about, it was a massive pipeline and I could not get it to turn off. So I did some trauma work after I retired from the military and it took me eight months, but I got my default mode network off. And now my mind doesn't, it doesn't do that, right? It doesn't torture me. I don't torture myself anymore. <laughs> what a journey into wholeness. <laughs> and it, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. <laughs> and, and, you know, knowing where I came from and how kind of uh, blinded I've been my whole life, it's why we're so successful because we know that every human being has the same capacity. And if they choose it, they absolutely will also go to that place. And if they don't want to choose it, that's okay too, right? None of us are here to tell each other what to do. We all know for ourselves uh, what that next step is. We just simply have to listen to it and then follow that inner guidance, I think. Yeah, as I like to say, I can only offer you the red pill, which you're going to have to put it in your own mouth and swallow it. <laughs> because, you know, that's that's literally at the heart of helping people liberate themselves from their self-created suffering. There has to be a choice. And that choice is really important because that's where the process of empowerment begins. That's where the deconstruction of the default mode network begins. That's when the curiosity enters the frame where, well, what if this and what could actually be true for me if I didn't believe everything that, you know, I've, I do now? What if I lost my mind? What if I lost What if mind? I went back, you know, what if I went back to experiencing life with a childlike wonder? What if I was awestruck at the mystery? Another word you use that I love, the mystery. As kids, we fell in love with the mystery every day because there was so much we didn't know and there was so little that was calcified as who we were. And as adults, now we spend, you know, the rest of our time trying to return to that childlike state of wonder without being childish because that childishness is still that, the trauma, the, the shadow. And that's, you know, that's interesting because, um, for me, I experience a state of being that I've never known, right? 
my childhood wasn't uh, wonder and awe. Uh, there were there were moments of it, but they were they were much less than the others. And so it's you know uh, we often say you can definitely achieve a state that you've inhabited, but you can definitely as achieve a state that you haven't inhabited, right? And that's what's so stunning to me is to keep deepening into new layers of being that are so rich and so beautiful, you know, that you just, your heart breaks open over and over. I didn't even know I had a heart. Truly. Mm. I had zero emotion. That's why I was so good at leading. And yet at the same time, right, I see clearly that I wasn't a whole leader because I didn't lead through a heart because I didn't even know I had one. Right. And so um, it's, it's, uh, it's worth the work. It's, it is hard work. I do agree with that. And at the same time, I would do anything to get to the space that I'm in right now. Right. And I'm continuing to unfold and unfold into new expressions of myself. And we all are doing that right at whatever level we're doing it at. Mm. It's not a speed. It's not a race. You know, it's a gentle unfolding of the next new you. And so it's just it's stunning to me. <laughs> Micra, what would you like to acknowledge yourself for across your whole life? If there's one thing that you really want to celebrate. Wow. About me. About you. Me. Well, a, I, can, I can speak to that easily now. Right. Um, and all of the experiences that I've had leading up to now have contributed to this. I know that I make a difference. Right. I know I make a difference. And I know that all of my moments will be spent continuing to make a difference because that's what I find myself to be here to do. And, and that gives me great uh, inner comfort to, to recognize that I've committed to that because it means so much to me, right? In, and it can be a small way. It can be a smile to someone who's having a bad day, or it can be my nonprofit foundation that's going to wipe PTSD off this planet, right? Whatever it is, it all matters. And so that's what I'm most proud of. <laughs> mm. Thanks for I feel watching. that. Yeah. What do people misunderstand about you? Um, I, I think probably the, uh, the biggest thing that people misunderstand about me would be um, they potentially sense a neutral, uh, a neutral kind of lens. I, I don't, even though I have a deep and rich emotional structure, I don't look through emotion as I create my experience. Um, and, and often, because most people do, they find that to be a bit disconnected. Um, and, and, you know, that's okay. Uh, for me, I think, I think I must come from a place of neutrality so that I'm not projecting my belief systems and um, my need for them to do it the way I do it or to see it the way I see it. I honor all of the individuality that we have. And um, that's, that's, probably, that's probably the biggest thing, I think. Yeah, and I really want to acknowledge you on that because I think it's quite admirable the way you hold the distinction between the individual and the shared, the collective. And in that, in that strength that you display in not projecting, you know, I, I still, every time I interact with you, I still feel a richness of feeling and emotion. And I think it's really an art to not look at life from an emotional lens, which can often be a projection of our own unconscious material. So I actually want to acknowledge you for not you know, adding to the contamination in how society interacts with members and you know I, I actually find that to be a very endearing quality about you thank you appreciate that will you tell us a little bit about your nonprofit? 
it's um you know it's 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 one of the loves of my of my existence right i spent 30 years in the military it's it's who it's it's the culture that i know the best and you know always worked to assist that culture to lay in things, greater self-awareness, greater self-regulation, so that as they went out to do what they do to keep us safe, uh, that they can come home whole. And, you know, what I watched was uh, everybody's doing their best. The systems are doing the best they can do. The people are doing the best they can do. And they're not coming home whole. And so it affects the families. It affects our, our entire ecosystem. Um, our complex systems approach absolutely works. And because it addresses the entire system, it can restore them to wholeness. So it's, it's in one arm, it's complex systems uh, restoration of wholeness. And it's through a performance lens, not through I'm broken because of what I experienced. It's not like that at all. It's like I volunteered to do this. I wanted to do it. I did it. I was good at it. And I'm not the same. I don't have the same capacity that I had after being exposed to all this stuff. So it's really directed toward the same thing. It's a year and we have, we have patrons and we have uh, so sponsors who actually sponsor um, a special operator and they go through the year process together. And so there's an accountability. We, that it's, it's kind of like together we rise because we can't do this alone. So that's it in part. And in part, it's around creating complex system strategies for all of the healthcare on the planet. If we do it through the wholeness of the human system, we aren't going to find ourselves broken with these crazy disease rates that are all lifestyle related. Every one of them are lifestyle related and we can intervene there. So we're working to put new systems into uh, medical schools, into medical, um, what, what you call sick care kind of arena into, you know, um, different countries, militaries, and also, uh, World Health Organization and some other some other entities to to really change the way we look at health and well being on the planet. So it's really two kind of two pronged. I love that, and it really speaks volumes because you have your hands full with everything that you're doing already, and you know this is I can feel how core this is to your being and to your heart. Yeah, I love it, and and our team we're all in service, you know. It's um, we, we recognize that in this, especially in this COVID uh, interesting situation, leaders are standing up on this planet who look through complex systems lenses. And that's the answer. And so the more of us who think this way, who have strategies to create new systems, not change the existing ones, as you pointed to earlier, the new systems are what will change the planet not not the complaining about the old systems and not trying to change in piecemeal the systems that we've already created that are not working. And so, uh, you know, I, I invite all complex systems uh, thinkers to kind of band together and go, okay, what can I lay in that's going to correct, not, not correct, but create a new system for the, the problems on this planet that are real? I love that. And I wanted to share a quick quote as we close you know, I was really thinking about this whole COVID situation as a massive pattern interrupt to our collective system and to our individual system. Mm -hmm. And this quote by Charles Eisenstein really exemplifies that. He says, COVID-19 is like a rehab intervention that breaks the addictive hold of, norm of normality. To interrupt a habit is to make it visible. It is to turn it from a compulsion to a choice. When the crisis subsides, we might have occasion to ask whether we want to return to normal or whether there might be something we've seen during this break in the routines that we want to bring into the future. And that is right. Charles Eisenstein is one of my favorite systems thinkers. He's bright. He's like brain candy to me. He and Daniel Schmachtenberger 
And that, um, that writing came from a, and I wonder if you're going to put it in your show notes, but from a, a, a post that he just did called Coronation. And I posted it also across my networks because to be able to contemplate some of the thoughts in there, even if you just read the last paragraph, it gives us a beautiful invitation for a new way of being. I just love that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I'll add the, note, I'll add the link to the notes and the show notes as well. Micro, this has been absolutely delightful. Thank you so much for the sparkling conversation, for all your wisdom and everything that you do for the world. Thank I'd you love for having- yeah, I'd love for you to share like how people can find you, how people can find your work and how people may contribute to the nonprofit as well. Yeah, so uh, LinkedIn is the best way to find me. And I also um, will give anyone interested in bigger conversations my email. And it's drhamilton at appearonzoi. It's A-P-E-I-R-O-N-Z-O-H.com. That's my personal email. And uh, also we have a new YouTube channel where I'm doing interviews around also topics like this. If anyone's interested in seeing them, they they cross all of human living and that's appear on Zoe on YouTube. And uh, our website is appearonzoi.com and it has our whole ecosystem on it, the academy. Um, I think the nonprofits going up there, we've, that's, that's been a, a new three month, three months ago, we created that um, to begin that process. And so really right now on that, it would be to reach out to me personally. I would love to discuss it with anybody who's interested. Thanks. And I can't recommend your work and appearance work enough. Micro, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being here and for everything you do. My pleasure. I love you. Happy day. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode. If you found value, please consider leaving a five-star review to allow the show to reach more people or share this episode via your social media channels. If you're an entrepreneur and want support in exponentially scaling your business, email me at ani at animanian.com.